the First Christian Church of Chiefland brings you the good news. And now, Tom Jones. Here we are. Just getting rolling on this series of the parables of Jesus, and for the third week, we have controversy. Well, only on the part of those who are hearing the parables. No controversy on Jesus' part. But really, I guess when we think about it, that's the purpose of the parables, isn't it? To help our ears to hear and our eyes to see. And today I'm going to preach a sermon I've entitled Weddings, Wardrobes, and Wineskins from Luke chapter 5. One of the things I really enjoy about the parables that Jesus told is that he always knew how to get to the right point, didn't he? Most of the parables were brief, easy to understand, and his point was a way of getting right to the heart of what we need to hear. For instance, Jesus could have given a one-hour lecture on who our neighbors are and how to treat them, but instead he simply told a parable of the one we call the Good Samaritan. Why? You see, we didn't need a lecture. We needed a word picture that would soften our hearts and cause us to want to do something. He talked about lost sheep that need to be found about a house built on poor foundation that needed to be corrected, about the value of the kingdom of God, and many more. And these parables can do at least four things for us. So as we're going through these sermons, I want you to think about these four things. We're talking about parables. Number one is, it shows us the humanity of Jesus. And we do, we do not believe Jesus was half human and half divine. We believe he was 100% of both. And he was. It's not something we believe. That's a fact. Jesus was 100% God and 100% man. Now we may not fully understand that, but we accept it by faith. And we see clearly in the parables that Jesus was very acquainted with everyday life. He, he knew about farming. He talked about the harvest. He knew how to fish. Wouldn't you love to go fishing with Jesus, J.B.? That'd be awesome. He talked about building houses, and he went to weddings, he went to funerals, he talked about everyday things like salt and bread and light and wages and work. The same things that we deal with every day. And number two, these stories can reveal the heart of God. You want to know how God feels about how we treat our neighbor? Read the parable of the Good Samaritan. You want to know how God feels when the lost come home to him? Read the parable of the prodigal son, and we'll find out. The joy that God has over one who was lost and then they're found. Number three, these stories can move us to action. They can cause us to treat our neighbor better. They can cause us to do better planning. They can cause us to take up our cross daily and follow Jesus. And then number four, these parables can cause us to see how the power of God can change any situation. In our text this morning, Jesus is explaining a very important principle to the Pharisees, one that all of us need to understand. We need to hear it again today. In Luke chapter 5, beginning with verse 33, Then they said to him, that being the Pharisees, Why did the disciples of John fast often and make prayers, and likewise those of the Pharisees, but yours, eat and drink. And Jesus said to them, Can you make the friends of the bridegroom fast while the bridegroom is with them? 
But these days will come when the bridegroom will be taken away from them. Then they will fast in those days. And then he spoke a parable to them. No one puts a piece from a new garment on an old one. Otherwise the new makes a tear. And also the piece that was taken out of the new does not match the old. And no one puts new wine into old wineskins or else the new wine will burst the wineskins and be spilled and the wineskins will be ruined. But new wine must be put into new wineskins and both are preserved. And no one, having drunk old wine, immediately desires new, for he says, the old is better. Let's pray. Holy God and Father, I'm truly grateful for the opportunity this morning to bring forth the Word of God to my brothers and sisters. I'm also grateful, Lord, to preach the Word of God that I might learn once again your truth. These parables may be a little confusing, Lord, till we understand the full extent of what Jesus was trying to teach the Pharisees that day. And Lord, how it affects us even today. How important change is and we accept change in the proper perspective. Not just change for change's sake. But you have a plan, Lord, and we need to follow that plan as you desire us to change for you. Please guide us, help us, Lord, and as I said earlier, that we might have ears to hear and eyes to see. This I pray in Jesus' name this morning. Amen. So you see the key theme in these three short parables. I've already mentioned a couple times. It's a simple word, change, which we rarely like to hear, is it? I once got a fortune cookie that said this, change is inevitable, except in a vending machine. Think about that one for a moment. Have you ever put your money in a vending machine and not got the change back? Absolutely. But think about it this way. Change is often good, even though we might not think so. Change can result in growth. And change is often necessary. If you read the Gospels carefully, you will notice that Jesus was constantly in trouble with the religious establishment. He would forgive someone in the religious crowd who wouldn't rejoice. They would become angry. Only God can forgive sin. Who do you think you are? Jesus? Why did they get so angry? You know, one of the saddest things I can think of ever seeing in the church was after the preacher preached a sermon and have an invitation. Somebody came down the aisle who wanted to be buried in Christ. And you'd see people get up from him towards the back and start to leave. It's like, hold on a minute! We're about to have a new birth! Where are you going? Somebody's going to be born again and you're leaving? Oh, Dad, your wife's about to give birth. Well, that's okay. She can handle it. I'm leaving. And then I heard the preacher rebuke a few people. That didn't happen anymore. That should be a happy time. Somebody's about to have all their sins washed away. I thought about this this morning on the way in. It's like they took their last breath 
as a sinner in their first breath as a saint. When they died to cry or died to sin, going down and breathed their first breath, sinless. That's something to rejoice about. Jesus would hang out with sinners and that made the religious crowd mad as well. Why did Jesus do these things? Simple. He's God. Didn't he know it would cause trouble? Didn't he know that everything he was doing was going against the teaching of the day, against everything the religious people believed in? Jesus was always making change. He was constantly stretching their thinking and ours today. And we see it in these three short little parables this morning. And that's what I want to talk about, change in these three parables. Number one is this, weddings. There it is. His first pattern he talks about a wedding. He compares his ministry and teaching to a wedding celebration. In John chapter 3, verses 26 through 30, John the Baptist describes himself as the best man or the friend of the bridegroom. And he describes Jesus as the bridegroom. Now, let's look at this controversy that speaks all of this discussion. Here I find Jesus at a little get-together at Matthew the tax collector's house. And Luke 5.29 tells us that Matthew's fellow tax collectors and other guests were there. You don't have to be too creative to figure out what kind of shady characters would be the guests at a party of a tax collector, now do you? And verse 30 tells us the religious leaders of the day, the Pharisees, were pretty concerned with the fact that Jesus is hanging out with these types of people. And finally, they've had about enough. And you know that feeling when you can't just stand there anymore? When your convictions about something have reached the passion boiling point, you, you have to just say something to somebody. And they do. And here's what they say. In Matthew chapter 9, verse 14, the disciples of John came to him saying, Why do we and the Pharisees fast, but your disciples do not fast? And what do you see going on here? Pat me on the back, because I fast twice a week. Why don't you guys fast twice a week? Mark 2.18 John's disciples, the Pharisees, were fasting and they came and said to him, why did John's disciples and the disciples of the Pharisees fast? But your disciples do not. Obviously, John's disciples are far more holy than your guys. And as I read Luke 5.33 and they said to him, the disciples of John often fast and not only all they, they offer prayers but the disciples of the Pharisees also do the same, but yours eat and drink. They're not fasting. They're not offering prayers. You see, the Old Testament book of Ecclesiastes reminds us that there is a time for everything. A time to be born and a time to die. A time to plant and a time to pull it up. Time to cry, a time to laugh, a time to tear something apart, a time to mend it. It's just a few things. The thing that jumps out to me is that we can plant something or pull it up. We can cry or we can laugh. We can tear something apart or we can mend it, but we cannot, cannot, cannot do both at the same time. It's one or the other. And here Jesus was saying there's a time for fasting and it's not when you're at a wedding. There's a time for fasting and grieving because the two are linked. But when God brings you to the wedding, it's time to what? 
it's time to celebrate. And fasting was like a huge part of the religious fabric of the Judies, of the Judaism. You practiced and encouraged fasting as a display of one's level of measuring one's religious temperature. The more you fasted, the more spiritual you were. And to prove this, the Pharisees fasted twice a week minimum. Now the funny thing about this is there's only one time in the Old Testament where the Jews were commanded by God to fast. One day! And that was on the Day of Atonement. Jesus himself really only spent time teaching about fasting once in the Sermon on the Mount where he said not to do it for the wrong reasons, i.e. to look spiritual. So when they question Jesus about why his disciples spend more time fasting and that are feasting than fasting, Jesus knows their question has very little to do with fasting and very much to do with change. They wanted the spotlight on them. Jesus was trying to get them to get the spotlight off yourself and get it on God because that's what you were Suppose that's your charge as a Pharisee to move the people to look to God, not yourself. So when that question came to Jesus, he, he gets pretty hot about it. But see, he handles it with the parables, doesn't he? His entire ministry, think about it, three and a half years worth was viewed as an attempt to take the old way, the law, and trash it to bring in a new way of grace. The only problem with that thinking is that this isn't what Jesus wanted to do at all. That's how they saw it. He said in Matthew 5, 17, Do not think that I came to abolish the law of the prophets. I did not come to abolish or destroy, but to fulfill. You think Jesus had all the laws the Jews had. You go back there and read Leviticus and the Numbers and the Deuteronomy and wherever else there's laws by God and they could not keep them all. And along comes Jesus with the same laws and he walks 33 years and a half without stumbling in one single law. He fulfilled the law. The scriptures say the law was nailed to the cross when Jesus was nailed to the cross. He fulfilled the law. But see, the Pharisees and the Sadducees did something a little different. They weren't so concerned about keeping the law as changing the law for their own benefit. As long as it benefited them, they acted like they were righteous and they were doing it all the right way. But guess what? That was the law for them. Was it the law for all the normal people, ordinary people, the common people? And that's why they always had so many problems with Jesus. And Jesus didn't say, I didn't come to get rid of the law. I came to fulfill the law. And then it leads into grace because if the law couldn't be fulfilled by someone, then the law had to stand. 
When Jesus fulfilled the law, now we can come under grace. We can have change. And in other words, Jesus came to finish where God used the law to start. His intention was never to say the old system of, of reconnection to God was a bad one. It was just that it was the way God intended to get things moving along. The Old Testament practices of sacrifice and fasting on the Day of Atonement were meant to teach people that God loves to forgive our sin more than anything. The problem was that the, the same problem always is. Along the way, the means to the end became the end. And the purpose of fasting has always been to remove the physical to focus on the spiritual. But somehow the act of removing the physical, physical became how we define the spiritual. How much you did, that was the measurement for how much you loved God. Jesus' ministry is all about moving people from an old way of doing things to a new way of doing things. And same thing needed done. People needed to be reconciled back to God. But here's the new way to do it. And the religious leaders just couldn't see making the shift. They had gotten pretty good at approaching God this way. And to think of doing it another way was, well, it just wasn't going to happen. And that's what Jesus was trying to teach them with a simple, simple little parable about weddings and fasting. Number two, wardrobes. Jesus was using something quite simple and familiar to everyone. The cloth of a garment. And we surely don't do this as much as people used to do. But most of us know that when you sew a patch on an old piece of clothing, the problem is not really resolved, is it? Now I know I can talk to you because most of you remember the day when if you had a tear in your pants, what did your mama do? Patch it. Absolutely. Now she was really good or really concerned about you worried about patches on your clothes, she'd do it from the inside. My mom was pretty good. She'd sew the patch on the inside to the point you could hardly even tell there was a tear there. But then it got to be a thing that the more patches you had on your jeans, that means they were really worn. So then you wanted the patches to show, right? Now, the more tears you have in the pants, the more I think kids think that's a better thing. I find it funny how now they sell them like that. I don't even get the, the opportunity to cut holes in my pants. They gotta gotta buy them. <laughs> and they charge me twice as much. Figure that one out. You see, clothing had already shrunk and the patch is not. So when the new patch shrinks, it totally messes up the old garment around the area where the patch was sewed, causing more of a problem. That was first solved. You know, there's an old hymn that says, give me that old time religion. And then the song that says, it was good for the Hebrew children and it's good enough for me. And God had something more, something new for them. He had to deliver them from the bondage of Egypt and show them something new. And the Red Sea would be parted. Mount Sinai would explode with fire. The Ten Commandments would be given and they would learn new lessons in the wilderness. And also says it was good for Paul and Silas and it's good enough for me. The truth is the old time religion was not good enough for Paul and Silas. For years Paul wanted to do uh, to be good enough until one day he was walking on the road to Damascus. And he met Jesus. He wanted to keep his tradition but the new patch and the old garment just wouldn't work. You see, you can't have the old time religion. Your mother's or your father's faith will not do. It has to be your faith, 
You're not getting into heaven because your mom and dad are Christians. You're not getting into heaven because your spouse is a Christian. You're going to get into heaven because you have given your life to Christ through faith. And you have allowed your faith to help you, lead you to repent. And you allow your faith to cause you to confess. And you allow your faith to cause you to be baptized in the water grave of baptism. Then you are lined up on the right road leading to heaven. You see, it all falls on you. God's not like going to let you in because of all the people you know that are Christians. So the real key is this question. Where's your faith? Where's my faith? Perhaps your faith is like a pair of blue jeans. You bought them new and they fit good. You wore them around everywhere and you looked good. But eventually those blue jeans started to wear thin. You got a little tear in the pocket. Then the knee and then the bottom started to fray. And more and more the blue jeans started to unravel and come apart at the seams. And if your faith has not grown in several years, then your garment has grown old. It's dried up and fraying like the old blue jeans. Sure, they're comfortable. They're falling apart at the seams. And it's not going to take the new patches of the new things Jesus wants to do in your life. You can't stay where you are. This church can't stay where it is. Our faith must be current. It must be fresh. God tells us in Isaiah 43, 19, Behold, I will do something new. Now it will spring forth. Will you not be aware of it? I will even make a roadway in the wilderness, rivers in the desert. Listen, Jesus is not into patchwork. He doesn't want to patch up our old lifestyle. He doesn't want to put on a temporary patch. He wants to start with a core of the problem, the root cause. If we're going to follow Jesus, he doesn't want to be a patch. He expects the whole wardrobe. You see, there are times when we need to scrap that we're doing and start over. Start fresh. Galatians 3.27. Listen to some of these verses. For all of you who were baptized into Christ have clothed yourself with Christ. You have become a what? New creation. Ephesians 4.24. And put on the new self, which in the likeness of God has been created in righteousness and holiness of the truth. Ephesians 6.11 and 12. Put on the full armor of God so that you may that you will be able to stand firm against the schemes of the devil. You see, here's just a few verses that talks about putting something on and putting something on anew. Now what do we do with that new? Oh boy, what do you, what do, you do when you put on new clothes? My granddaughter and her boyfriend went to the prom last night. So, Amanda was helping Jordan get her dress, get her dad was doing her makeup, she had her hair done, she had her, uh, her nails done, she put on her new shoes, and we're helping Logan, who was really nervous, trying to get him in his tuxedo and everything. Then guess what they did afterwards? They're all decked out, ready to go to the prom, right? They sit on the couch and watch a movie. No, that's not what they did. They got in the car and they went to the prom, and I'm sure they had a good time. I haven't had a chance to talk to them, but they got to have the pictures taken last night. Hey, they, the two of them look good. My point is, they put on the new garments. They were ready to go, ready to go out. What do we do when we put on the new garments? It should move us to action, brothers and sisters. When we put on Jesus, we want to do what Jesus wants us to do. 
Jesus wants us to grow in Christ. To change things. Anybody in here besides me need to change something in their life? Golly, we all do, don't we? We've been called to keep changing. That's what repentance is. Study the word out in the Greek. It's a word that means it's a, a continuous process where we repent. We're changing for Jesus. So let me ask you this question. How does your wardrobe for Christ look today? Are there a few things maybe we need to open up the door and throw away? Like we do at home. My wife's telling me, do you really wear that shirt anymore? Sure, honey, I wore it... Uh, 1995, I think. She said, what are you saving it for? Besides it, I hate that shirt. So it goes in the trash. It's time to get rid of some of those things. Not like this one. Not because of the top. You don't make me wrong. Not a wine bibber. But only the wineskin part. The wineskin uh, parable. It's a metaphor of the torn clothing and patches. It's somewhat familiar to us. However, the metaphor of the wineskins probably rather foreign to us because since today wine is usually made in barrels and then put in bottles. So let me give you a quick lesson on wine making in ancient Palestine because it was help understand better what Jesus was talking about. The only leather wine container we can imagine is the tear-shaped leather bolta that the Spaniards used to carry wine and squirt it from their mouth. But this is very unlike the wineskin Jesus refers to. Wine was made by treading grape, uh, barefoot on the grapes in the wine press, and a square or circular pit hewn out of the rock, or dug out, lined with rocks and sealed with plaster. And the juice then flowed down through a channel into the lower vessel, and a wine vat, which functioned as a collecting and fermenting container for the grape juice. In the warm climate of Palestine, grape juice began to ferment very quickly. And there was no easy way to prevent fermentation. After the first state of fermentation had taken place in the wine vat, the wine was strained through a sieve or a piece of cloth. And after four to six days, it was poured into clay jars, lined with pitch or animal skin for storage and further fermentation. And when animal skins were used, wine skins were made of whole tanned goat skins where the legs and tails were cut off and they were sealed up. And the new wine would be poured into this skin, sort of like pouring water into a water balloon. And in the next two to four months, as the fermentation process would take place, the carbon dioxide gas created would actually stretch the skin to its limit. And during this process, the skin would lose its elasticity so that it would never be able to contrast and stretch out again. So Jesus commented that new wine needed to be poured into new wine skins or the wineskins would burst. Because if you take the old wineskin, put in the new wine, creating the gas, guess what happened? The wineskin couldn't stretch anymore, and it burst. You lost the wineskin, and you lost the wine. So what do you do? Every time the juice would be poured into it, it was always best to have a new container. Now God has a new thing he wants to do, a brand new thing. I believe there's some new wine God wants to pour into old wineskins, the chief one. You and I have to be willing to change. We must be willing to stretch and expand. It's time to trade in the old wineskins and get some new ones. It's time for change. Okay. So hopefully we're all getting the picture by now. You can't take something new and just insert it into something old. 
or you'll ruin both of them. But what in the world does this have to do with us? Imagine, if you would, that your life is a wineskin. All your experiences, your background, your education, above all, your pre-Christian ways of thinking relating to God are like wine that has filled up the wineskin of your life. All those things develop into becoming a worldview, a way of interpreting everything that happens to you and in the world around you. Then you hear the gospel. You learn that Jesus Son of God. You come to believe He died and rose again. You understand that He died because your sin demanded it and that His payment for our sin is the only way you can come into a relationship with God. You then decide to become a Christian. You follow this Jesus who died for you. You begin living for Him. You realize the Scripture says you need to repent of your sinfulness. Confess the name of Jesus as your Lord and Savior. Be baptized by immersion to have your sins washed away to fill with God's Holy Spirit. That's all great. But, for too many people, what happens at this point is that they attempt to simply add Jesus into their old life and try to have Him work things around so they can keep all the old stuff and have the new wine of His presence, His power. And Jesus was saying you can't do it that way. If you try to follow Him and be led by the new wine of the Holy Spirit in your life, and keep holding on to the old stuff of your old life. Without him you can expect things to fall apart. Jesus was saying to his accusers and to us 2,000 years later. That now that he is in town it's time to get some new wineskins. Because he brings new life. What he was telling the Pharisees. You can't keep living your life. Trying to keep the law. The old way. When the way of grace is coming, the way of forgiveness is coming through Jesus, through me, Jesus was saying, and it's not going to work trying to keep the law and still be saved. Because later on, the Apostle Paul says, you could not keep the law and be saved. You've got to have grace. You've got to give up the law. That means we're not going to obey the law anymore. There are still things as Christians we believe and obey because God told us to. He commanded. And if we love, Jesus said, if you love me, you'll what? Keep my commandments. You will obey me. But it's got to be my way, the new way, the way of grace. Romans chapter 6, verses 3 and 4. Paul wrote, Do you not know that all of us who have been baptized into Christ Jesus have been baptized into his death? Therefore, we have been buried with him through baptism into death in order that as Christ was raised from the dead through the glory of the Father, so we too might what? Walk in newness of life. 2 Corinthians 5.17 Therefore, if any man is in Christ, he is a new creature. The old things have passed away. Behold, new things have become new. Life with Christ is not like getting a new engine in an old car. It's like getting a whole new car. Life with Christ is not like putting patches on old tattered garments. It's like getting a brand new wardrobe. And life with Christ is not like adding some new wine into an old wineskin. It's like getting a brand new wineskin to receive the new wine of His loving grace. But if this is going to take place, we need to be willing to part with that old car, that old garment, and that old wineskin. That's our old life. And allow His new life to fill us up and empower us. Now let me ask you, are you ready to get rid of the old and receive the new? The new life that Jesus wants to bring. 
Are you tired of trying to mix Jesus in with your worldly lifestyle finding that it really doesn't work very well? If so, change starts with your decision to count your old life as dead and to see that spiritually we need the new wine of God's grace. The new wine of having your sins forgiven and being filled with God's Holy Spirit. Now I urge you today to examine your life, your, your thinking, your world view for areas where you could be trying to just add Jesus in, in, in instead of starting fresh with the new life he wants to bring. You know, I've seen people try to do that. You know, they want to add Jesus in and call themselves a Christian, but that looks great when they put their mask on walking in here on a Sunday morning. Walking into the church building. How you doing, brother? How you doing? It's good to see you. Giving hugs and boy, they must look at they carry a big bottle. They must uh, really know their stuff. They sure walk the walk on Sunday from about 9 a.m. to about 1. Until they get home and then it all starts over. Monday they're a different person. Different person Monday through Saturday. But Sunday morning, they're all ready to go again. But after a while, you can start seeing the fruit, can't you? They're, they're really not who they claim to be. You see, they're trying to put new wine in old wine cans. And it just starts spilling out everywhere. Now I know I'm talking, uh, probably preaching mostly to the choir today. But what can we take from this as Christians who've been there and done that, so to speak? It's this. You know, we still have changing to make. We still need to be putting that new wines into the new wine skins and letting that grow us. Allowing us to grow, to be more like Jesus every day. To open those doors that we keep closed or try to keep locked and God knows what's in there anyway. He's just waiting for us to unlock those doors of our mind and let the, the dust, let those moths fly out so we can start cleaning up that room. In other words, repentance of things that we know we need to change. And I'm pointing the fingers at me here. As Brother Dowdy always says, I might be pointing one at you, but three are pointing right back at me. So that means three times as much I need to recognize what I'm saying. We all have things to change. And that's what Jesus is trying to get us to understand today. But if you haven't given your life to Christ, oh how he loves you and me. Page 254. We're going to sing this two verses and I invite you to come as we sing. If you have a decision to make for him this morning, let's all stand.